listening to the Arise Church podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, read this way. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest or a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We just sang about that. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to read something to you from ariseventura.com forward slash beliefs. Under our statement of faith, the first thing we start with is the nature of God. And it reads this way. The scriptures are clear that there is only one God who is the creator of all things. God is eternal, holy, sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, personal, loving, completely self-sufficient, and transcendent. This God is revealed to us in scripture through nature and conscience and fully in the person of Jesus Christ. He is a unity existing in diversity, a triune community of divine persons, mysteriously one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. One statement. Fifteen confessions. And if you go to the website, you'll see that there are 59 verses that accompany that concise confession. It's a creed of sorts. The Latin word credo is where we get this idea of creed and creed just means I believe. A creed is to believe since the birth of the church. Christians have taken time to pull together creeds and to use them to condense the truths of the gospel down to simple, memorable statements of confessions of what we believe in order to help the church capture the essence of the story of God's salvation in simple form. During the third and the fourth century, there was a number of creeds that were written to contend with false teachings and to clarify what the gospel was. There were false teachings creeping into the church. And so the Apostles' Creed was one such creed that was written to help us understand what the Bible teaches about God, about men, about sin, and about salvation, and also about the church. The Apostles' Creed summarizes some foundational Christian beliefs and has been used both as a statement of faith and in worship ever since. History. Historical writings first record the words Apostles Creed in the middle of the 300s. If you've ever heard the 
Apostles' Creed, it's almost as old as some of our New Testament letters. In terms of that long, the church has stood with this creed. It's called the Apostles' Creed, not because it was produced by them, but because it contains a brief summary of the gospel they preached, the doctrine they set forward, their teachings. And it summarizes it with simplicity, with a brevity, and even with a beauty. beauty. And it's used as a celebration in worship services oftentimes. At the end of our time together today, Barry's actually going to walk us through reciting the Apostles' Creed together. R.C. Sproul began a teaching series once on the Apostles' Creed, and he began it this way. He asked the question, how many of you believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States of America? (laughs) He goes on to say there's rarely any objection to that question. But the question that begs more of our attention is, why do you believe that? None of us were there. You haven't seen him. You have not met him. None of the none of us were there to witness his election. These questions get to a a, kind of a a deeper question, right? Well, wait a minute. Why do we believe what we believe and how do we know? We know things that have been recorded for us as history. That's the reason why. And as Christians, there's things that we know and believe and hold to, not based on some sort of blind faith, but because of historical records and the overwhelming eyewitness accounts that passed them down to us. And the truth of the matter is, when it comes to this, it it forms what we call the study of God or theology. Theology is what helps us to understand what we believe, why we believe it, how we believe it. When it comes to theology, knowing is not what counts. Believing is. And newsflash, in 2022, believing is one of the most countercultural things that you can do. I recently had breakfast with a group of Central Coast pastors, and it was hosted and led by this guy named Josh Butler, who had recently written a blog that was kind of viral. In fact, it was one of 2021's highest or most read blogs, and it was called Four Causes of Deconstruction. Our conversation surrounded one of Josh's points that in today's world, one of the main reasons for deconstruction is because doubt is hip. It's a cool thing. You get street cred. The problem is that doubt don't get you too far when the truth is at stake, does it? You may very seriously doubt that George Washington cut down a cherry tree as a little boy. (laughs) But to doubt that there's a God who created the trees and everything, including you. Desires to have a relationship with you. So he sent his son into the world so that you could be reconciled to him. To doubt that is a whole lot more at stake. A whole lot more at stake. And so let me be clear. It's absolutely important that we understand who God is in theology, who we are in relationship to him and what he has done for us in Christ as the foundation for how we live as Christians. No more Christians just doing their own thing, living their own way 
and having no time for doctrine, theology, teaching, and discipleship. Understanding our position in Christ is the basis for the practice of Christian life. And the author of Hebrews follows this pattern. Most of the book up to chapter 10 is actually just doctrinal. It's all theology. It's Christology. The first four chapters teach us how Jesus Christ is superior to every other person. From chapter five through chapter 10, verse eight, it teaches us how Christ is superior in his priesthood. There were priests since the beginning of time, but none like the great high priest, the Lord Jesus. And beginning at verse 19, which I just read to us and running to the end of the book, based on the truths that have been presented to us in theology, he shows us how Christ's superiority motivates us to enduring faith and Christian living that is godly and witnesses to the gospel we believe. It motivates us to endure and face faith even in the face of trials. In our sermon text, he shows us two ways to put our position into practice. Very simple teaching for us today. Verses 19 to 21 show us who we are in Christ. And verses 22 to 25 show us how to be who we are. We are the church. Be the church. Real quickly, take up the first point, our position. Here's what our position is. If you're taking notes, we have a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what it means that we are the church. You see it in verses 19 to 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. He presents these two vital truths, both kind of with a therefore a, or a sense up front. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We don't belong there. We should not be there, but we have confidence and can move towards God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says we have a great high priest over us or over the house of God, which is exactly who we are. Just in case anybody doesn't know, God doesn't dwell in buildings anymore. He dwells in the body of Christ. He doesn't dwell in synagogues and temples in tabernacles. In the new covenant, the spirit indwells the heart of his people. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians teaches us. And that's individually, but it's in a greater sense corporately as the body we are the temple of the living god paul teaches us in first corinthians 3 6 and in second corinthians 6 as well and so the writer of hebrews after summarizing why we are the church goes on to explain how we be the church which is our practice. So our position is we're the church. We are in Christ. We have confidence. We can come to the holy places through and in him, our practice. Look down at your Bibles with me. Verse number 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full 
assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Draw near to God in faith. Hold fast the confession of your hope and consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The author even includes himself in this need to apply our theology and make it practice by using the first person, plural, three times. Let us, let us, let us. First and foremost, to be the church, let us draw near to God. We have access. We have a new position. Let's put it into practice. It's on you and I to draw near to God. Under the command to draw near, there are the four things that you see that tell us how to do that. Being the church means that we draw near with a true heart. Another Bible translation that is good is with a sincere heart, y'all. It refers to a heart that doesn't have divided loyalties. A major implication of that <laughs> is this. We don't get a pass for being hollow in our faith in deconstruction because it's cool in 2022. Wow. Draw near to God with a true heart and a sincere heart that's not divided. <laughs> then he says, being the church means we draw near with full assurance, full assurance. The author actually devoted a whole chapter to this in chapter 11. It's called faith. Full assurance of faith. In chapter 11, verse 6, he says, it's impossible to please God without faith. You can't even please God without faith. And so this should lead us to realize we have to understand that faith is, yes, God's gift, but it's also our obligation. Faith is our responsibility. Draw near to God with a full assurance of faith. We're saved by faith and we walk by faith. And I can't. And Jesus doesn't even, in this life, walk for you. There's no such thing as blind faith when it comes to the Bible, as I've already said. Our faith is grounded in all the theology about Jesus Christ in the first 10 chapters. If you want to join Jeff, I didn't know he was reading Hebrews this morning. The Spirit of God unifies our hearts and moves among us. Join him in reading through this book. The better we know him, the more we will trust him. The more we trust him, the more we prove his faithfulness, not just singing about it. But we become able to say he really is faithful and I can trust him and I can trust him again, even when doubt does come or even when life gets hard. Yeah. That's going to happen because you draw near with a full assurance of faith. Yeah. The third thing he tells us is that being the church means we draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. For this and the next one, the author is really drawing on the picture of the Old Testament and what it looked like to be a priest. You were set apart in your office by being washed with water and also by being sprinkled with blood. The next one is actually being the church means we draw near having our bodies washed with pure water. You can probably tell or hear that might refer to something. Baptism. The blood of Christ cleanses the heart, which is the inner man. Yeah. 
And it gives you a clean conscience so that you can serve God. And baptism pictures outwardly what has happened inwardly. When you put these two together, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, you understand that we have an inward purity that is fleshed out in outward behaviors. And it starts with a profession out loud, with a confession out loud, with a profession in baptism, with a profession by gathering with the church. By being a part of the church with a profession as we'll go to the Lord's table and have the bread and the cup every week. We proclaim the Lord's death. Outward behaviors. Which calls for some application. So again, if you're taking notes, here's how we can apply this. Let us draw near by reading the word and studying theology with all of our might. Read the word. Study theology. So that you will know what you believe, what we believe, why we believe it, and how we can live it. Let us draw near by praying to God, right? Drawing near is really synonymous with seeking the Lord. Seek him while he may be found. We have a huge invitation to the throne of grace, the most holy places, but it don't matter if you don't take God up on it. Read, spend time with him in quiet, pray, move towards the Lord. We can come to the holy place where we don't even belong, but we will never experience that unless we take him up on the invite. The next thing he says is let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us hold fast is one compound Greek word. It literally just means to detain something to restrain something. He said, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Hope refers to what? The future hope, confident expectation based on God's faithful past. We know that salvation is coming because of not us, but him. Hope refers to the future hope. Absolutely. Of our salvation. Confession is what? Agreement. Confession is agreement. It's what we collectively agree to and what you and I profess to belong to along with the rest of the church. And here's how it starts. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a creed, y'all. Amen. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The public confession should serve as a strong motivation to hold fast to Jesus by faith. The word for hold fast means firm and unyielding. So let me put all of this into my own language. Y'all know I like to speak extra biblical sometimes. Here's what he's trying to say to us. Let us put our confession of hope for salvation in Christ alone in the headlock and don't let it go. Headlock your hope and don't let it go. Our hope is certain. Our hope of salvation, it's certain, but not yet realized. Yes, but it's certain because of and based on the promises of God, based on him. You know how we know they're certain? Look back at verse number 23 toward the end. He who promised is faithful. 
I heard Jeff say something about Abraham. And I thought about Moses and I thought about the people of Israel. And time and time again, I searched the scriptures and I've seen that God is faithful. But you know what else? In my own life, I have seen that God is faithful. I fall short daily, but God is faithful. I don't read like I want to, but God is faithful. I don't pray like I ought to, but God is faithful. I don't have enough, but God is faithful. I might get sick, but God is faithful. I lose loved ones, but God is faithful because salvation is coming and it's sure. It's certain. We have a hope that we don't have to guess about. So put your faith in a headlock. (laughs) Put your hope in a headlock. As we journey through Peter in our gospel communities, we are going to see that Peter even warns us time and time again that in the last days, you're going to have mockers that will come and taunt you because of a message like this. Where's that promise? Where's the promise of his coming? Where's Jesus said now? What they don't know is that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand days, a thousand years. But a thousand years is like one day. He's coming and he's coming quick. The Lord is coming. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And so Peter's conclusion, just like the writer of Hebrews, is that in light of these certainties, we ought to be people of a resilient faith and holy conduct. Here's the big idea. One sentence for us to wrap it all up. We have a new position. We are the church. And in order to put that into practice and be the church, we start by believing together. In other words, we have a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So let us draw near in faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Even when we face death or disease, we have hope in the promises of our faithful God. Amen. Amen Amen to that. Next time, we're going to pick up in verse 24 and talk about belonging together and also becoming together. But for today, put your put your confession, put your confidence, put your hope, put your salvation, your faith in a headlock and don't let it go.